Welcome to the Onyx Report, a program that critically analyzes the experiences, histories, and perceptions of black males in American society. I'm Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, Associate Professor of Africana Studies at Fresno State, black male advocate, and black male studies scholar. In the program, we examine current events while engaging concepts ranging from institutionalized anti-black misandry to gynocentrism from a black masculinist perspective. Our goal is to remind people of black men's humanity. Call in after a half hour to the show at 310-928-7733. All right. Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Feels like it's been a little longer than usual, but I think that's because January and February kind of lay out differently. And as everybody knows who listens to the show that I broadcast on Interlight Radio every first and third Wednesday. So it kind of laid out a little weird. But uh, I also started a live video show on alternate second and fourth Wednesdays on YouTube. So basically every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, you can catch the Onyx Report either in video or on online radio. Um, today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the black masculinist agenda. Um, and, and, you know, I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, both on, on YouTube and on Interlight. Uh, so I think sometimes it's a good reminder uh, to kind of go back and, and, you know, reintroduce certain ideas to remind people what this show is about. Um, now, last week I did an interview with uh, one Miss uh, Nyota Ohura, who is an activist uh, and a black media um, you know, uh, uh, owner um, who's been working out of uh, Ferguson. She was actually one of the activists on the ground in Ferguson, and she talked about um, some of the things that took place right after the death of Michael Brown and really how, a, you know, a whole different group kind of co-opted uh, Ferguson for their own purposes. Um, you know, so we kind of did that, but I want to revisit what the show is about and what the work is so people are, are really clear. Uh, what we're talking about on this show is a movement, and it's a movement taking place with black men, um, you know, long before I named it, you know, in terms of black masculinism, but it's been taking place nonetheless. And it's it, for the most part, has been operating somewhat under the radar, mainly because it doesn't present itself as a movement in the conventional sense. Black men are not, you know, walking down the street holding signs. They're not protesting. And part of the reason for that is you know, black male life kind of presents certain challenges that that shape how we respond to the environment. Right. And one of the reasons we don't protest is, you know, we have a different relationship with the police. Um, so as, a, as a, a colleague of mine used to tell me she would get arrested on purpose at different events uh and she and she could tell me when she would be out of prison and you know mainly in time enough to you know cook dinner for her kids and i thought about that when she said it one day because i thought if i got arrested um i have no idea when i would get out and whether or not i would get out so it, that's kind of why black men have responded in the way they are and, and it's unconventional and truth be told, a lot of it has to do with social media because we don't have platforms. Black men don't really have uh, media platforms. We don't have magazines. We don't have TV channels. Uh, most of those things have been targeted really to black females across age, mainly because they're more so the primary consumers in the black community and they're, mo they're the most consistently employed. So th there are no major platforms for black males. And it really wasn't until uh, the 2000s where you started to see black men dialoguing across social media with one another in a new way that facilitated 
a movement and it's a movement that has that has and is spanning across genres but because it's doing so in an unconventional way that you know it's difficult to measure the breadth of it a lot of people don't understand what's going on and yet black men themselves uh, are still moving in a particular direction so today uh, after we kind of go through some current events that frame what we're talking about you're going to get a sense of what i see when i look out into the world and i see black men now first and foremost understand that the naming of it on my part has is not the same thing as the movement itself i don't control the movement what i do is suggest to black men things to think about and things to frame in a particular context so we can make sense of what we're doing but the movement is the movement and really it's been going since the 1970s uh, and we can talk about you know prior to that but it's it's most its latest iteration owes itself to the the, the conditions and the environment of the 1970s and it continues to snowball from there so that said it has become an international movement even with me I have men from Africa from Europe to, to Australia and South America who reach out to me black men who are talking about the same kinds of conditions that they're grappling with there. And those conditions range from everything from their relationship to the state to their intimate relationships. And so, and in their family relationships with kids, it's, it's the same kinds of issues. Now for African-American men, there's a very distinct experience that I'm more keyed into since that's my life and upbringing. Uh, but the, the ramifications of the movement in the US as with other black movements has global implications. So it is already global in its dimensions, in its implications, and the responses. So as I said, I have men writing me from around the world, but we don't often you know, have the same kind of platform. So again, it doesn't present itself in the same way. Now, the way I've defined masculinism, you can find on my WordPress account. And by the way, this will be posted as usual on YouTube later tonight. So for those of you on YouTube, please click the like button. If you go to YouTube, please subscribe and hit the bell so you can be notified whenever I post something or I go live. And I probably will start doing some very short videos, um, you know, kind of live and inspirational videos that hit me in a given moment. So please make sure you subscribe on there and donate to the channel. There's a number of different ways to do that um, to kind of help facilitate this. And, there, and, and so I'll put this in YouTube uh, in the uh, box underneath the video uh, where you can donate on PayPal, Cash App, Patreon or Venmo. All right. So black masculinism itself, I started early on as a, a framework for an academic approach. Uh, and this was mainly for black men, black, well, not even black men per se, but black masculinists in the academy who wanted to do research under a different framework in the context of gender, but didn't have an umbrella to function from. And what ended up happening is, it, you know, I think it really kind of ended up working hand in glove with the work Tommy, uh, Dr. Tommy Curry's doing, where we're both advocating for black male studies, but he did a very exhaustive and, and, and deep study and, ra and rationalization for the need for black male studies, whereas black masculinism is its, it, is its accompaniment both inside and outside of the university. 
as a frame of study, a way of approaching the material, a way of approaching phenomena, and a way of making sense of the world that prioritizes the humanity of black men and starts with the humanity of black men as the starting point, right? That's the central focus. And that's pretty basic. But you'd be surprised how little work you can actually do without that kind of framework as a justification for the research you're doing. And I've seen students, in graduate school especially, failed out, kicked out of their programs, or, or at least failed in their classes and papers because they decided to prioritize black males and not any other demographic. So at least with black masculinism, it started out as a protection for academic researchers to be able to do research on black men from a humanistic standpoint that prioritized their humanity as the starting point. But then it began to grow as I began to engage men across class, across you know, profession, across age, across, you know, the spectrum. And as I did so, I began to see the need to expand it a bit. So the current core definition that you can find on newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com is that uh, black masculinism is a kind of gender performance, method of analysis, and movement, gender movement, that critically challenges definitions, practices, and representations of black maleness not defined by black males themselves, while challenging structural and social, socially acceptable forms of misandry articulates the black male experience of oppression as race, gender, and class. It seeks to use empirical references, historical occurrences, and theory to serve as a corrective for inaccurate yet, yet popular depictions of black males in media and gender theory. Ultimately, this is to humanize black men regardless of context, as dehumanization has been standard for their study historically. Now, as I go through some of the current events, one of the things you'll, you'll hear, as usual, is the ways in which our vulnerability has been ignored and the extent to which that has impacted us in the world. So that's going to happen on a variety of different uh, uh, levels and in, in different ways. And from there, I'm going to actually go into the black masculinist agenda a little more forthrightly. Now, these particular current events aren't listed in any particular order of importance. They're just listed in terms of occurrences that black males grapple with that affect us. Now, the first, you know, actually, I'm going to step out of this. The first has nothing to do with black males themselves. I just wanted to give a shout out to two, uh, actually two black women actresses that passed away very recently. First of which was actress Paula Kelly. Second of which is Jeanette Dubois or Dubois. I'm not sure how she pronounced her last name. And that's my bad. Um, but she played Wilona on Good, on Good Time. She passed away the other night. And Paula Kelly who played in a number of different films, but the two I remember her from most were Uptown Saturday Night and um, A Spook Who Sat By The Door, uh, very powerful actresses, both of whom passed away. So I just wanted to give a kind of shout out uh, because they uh, played an interesting role in my upbringing um, in a particular way. But back to the current events that uh, I think are somewhat relevant. First of which comes out of AtlantaBlackStar.com and it says, uh, the title of which is Fort Worth Officers Accused of Kicking, Choking Black Man During Deadly Raid, But They Are Cleared of Wrongdoing. Two Fort Worth officers accused of needlessly choking, kicking, and firing a stun gun at a black man during a fatal 2013 drug raid have been cleared of civil liability uh, in his death. Jurors took less than 30 minutes Wednesday to return their decision in a civil trial weighing officers' culpability in the incident that killed 34-year-old Jermaine Darden. Right, this is from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. You can also catch the article on Atlanta Black Star. 
So again, the vulnerability of black men arbitrarily, you know, um, killed, and there is no punishment for our deaths. So this speaks again to what I mean when I say there's no appreciation for the vulnerability of black men in that you can be killed and arbitrarily so, and there will be no repercussions in many instances. Second article comes from AL.com, titled Former Alabama Teacher Acquitted in Sex with Student Case. Right. This is posted February 14, 2020. A former Moulton Middle School teacher was acquitted by a jury Thursday of having sex with a high school student despite testimony from the former student and a videotaped confession by the teacher that the two had sex. After a 52-minute deliberation Thursday, an 11-man, one-woman jury found Taylor Brooks Boyles, 30, of Moulton not guilty of Class B felony charged. If, if convicted, she could have been sentenced to up to 20 years in prison and been branded a sex offender for the remainder her, of her life. Now, there are men across race who have been branded sex offenders for arbitrary charges with little evidence and still have to file as sex offenders, and this affects them really for the rest of their lives, and yet, admittedly, having uh, committed an act, uh, this woman actually gets to go free. Now, this, again, highlights what we're talking about, and I'll go into more depth a little bit later, but on, in terms of race and gender, we find that there's a sliding scale of justice when it comes to these ideas, but not so for black men. So there's going to be a number of these sex cases that I mentioned. And what I want you to do, and this is what I tell my students whenever I talk about misandry, right? Especially anti-black misandry. If you don't understand what it is, reverse the genders and then think if you and, and think about whether or not you're offended. So in other words, uh, this 30-year-old teacher basically had sex with a student in 2020 um, and, and a high school student. Now... The question I would ask is, if this was a 30-year-old black male that had sex with a high school student in his class, do you think that he would not be sentenced for a 20-year bid and not have to file for the re remainder of his life as a sex offender? If you know that he would likely have to do those things, then come back to the case and look at it anew. So, and in part of it, because we live, you know, we, we have a fairly gynocentric culture where we learn to afford women a different scale of justice. We don't sentence them the same for the same crime. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, men are sentenced to 63% longer sentences for the same crime than women. So because we have that kind of chivalrous framework and, and a racist framework that impacts black men because they are both black and men, if you can't show empathy for a, a black male in that position, should you be able to legally show it for anyone else under the laws of the Constitution we have? Right. So the next one we can find on w, WJLA.com entitled Substitute Teacher Accuses, Accused of Giving Kids Lap Dances at Elementary School. In Baltimore Cal, uh, County, a substitute teacher is accused of giving kids lap, lap dances and more. Baltimore County school officials say a fourth grade substitute teacher at Hallathorpe Elementary School has been removed from class for inappropriate behavior. Apparently, she gave the kids lap dances. Uh, and this is elementary school, mind you. And this is a substitute teacher. Uh, what has happened to her, I'm going to need to follow up on, but this is a February 14th article. Um, so those of you in the comment section of YouTube, uh, feel free to add any updated articles. But again, you know, these kind of incidences would not be tolerated were these men, uh, male teachers, committing these kinds of offenses, especially on elementary school uh, students. But um, in these kind of instances, 
people find a way to be fairly empathetic uh, for women that commit these acts. Uh, another one is actually from uh, YouTube. It's a Vlad TV interview with the comedian Godfrey, and he and he talks about his experience of being um, falsely accused of a Me Too incident at his gym. And he says it's a woman he met and got her phone number, and then he saw her later at the gym, and she accused him of having touched her in the hallway. Now, they had the whole incident on camera, and he talked about how, you know, he was held in one room, she was held in another, and they reviewed the tape to find that actually nothing had happened. The issue with this um, is that had they actually not had that recorded, it could have affected the rest of his life, and again, and his career as well, simply over an accusation. And because we're talking about black males, in many instances, the accusation is the conclusion. It's the judgment. So with that in mind, that gives people a great deal of power over the lives of many black men, wherein just the accusation can end a man's career, can end his life, can even have him locked away for a long period of time over something he may not have done without any serious inquiry for evidence. So luckily they had it on camera and he was able to talk about it but you might want to hear the interview where he goes into more depth about how it happens. And again, it highlights the vulnerability of black men. Next up, um, if you haven't heard it, listen to Bill Bellamy's statements about Gail King. We talked about this before when I did the uh, Kobe Bryant show um, where Gail King, journalist, uh, was interviewing Lisa Leslie and brought up in a very uh, dogged kind of way. Um, the old uh, accusations in 2003 of Kobe Bryant and the question of whether or not that was appropriate or respectful in that context was something that set the internet on fire. Snoop Dogg came out and made some statements about Gail and it was interesting because after he made his incendiary statements where he cussed her out, the conversation became about him cussing her out and since then he's apologized I think twice uh, for his statements but yet we've managed to bait and switch the issue to where it became more so about Snoop's response and less so about what actually initiated the situation. Bill Bellamy's comments were fairly ignored because he actually didn't use any foul words and he addressed what she did directly. And so there was no way to bait and switch the issue and it kind of got ignored. Um, let's see, next up you have an article from Why. Uh, WHYY.org Clear to murder Camden men walk free after 25 years in prison Two Camden men walk free this week After serving 25 years in prison For double murder they, they say they didn't commit Kevin Baker and Sean Washington Now 48 Were released after attorneys Uncovered evidence Pointing to their in innocence Leading a court to toss their convictions Last year Camden County prosecutors Then announced this month They would not retry the case So you have two men who've lost uh, combined 50 years of their lives uh, for another accusation that falls through. And what we find is that when it comes to exoneration, especially by DNA evidence, black men are the, the largest demographic to be found on a regular basis to have been innocent of charges. Right? And so this is a regular occurrence. And, and, and I think most black men, even at a young age, uh, at least in their teens, tend to know when they hear these cases that walking out of their door, hell, not even walking out of their door, Sometimes you can just have the wrong address. The police can bust in. It's a whole different situation. So at any moment in your house, in your car, walking the streets, your life can be subject to another person's will. Uh, now, that to some extent applies to everybody just in terms of human existence. But for black men, it's especially uh, 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 pertinent 
because it seems to be par for the course. And for many years, many decades, many generations, uh, and we can even say centuries, especially uh, here in North America, uh, black men's lives can easily be forfeit for nothing. And there often isn't any uh, retribution for that. Uh, next up, article on EnlightenmentAfrica.com. Now, this is an article I also found on Forbes.com, but I wanted to cite Enlightenment Africa because it's interesting that this article about a New York case is being broadcast in Africa uh, in a way that uh, many can understand. This is a case about a black man framed by the NYPD for rape. He was awarded nearly $10 million after spending 30 years behind bars. Mark Denny was only 17 years old when he was sentenced to 57, to 57 years in prison for a crime he knew nothing about. Released in 2017, he now has something to smile about, albeit uh, what he has received won't bring back the three decades he wasted behind bars. He basically settled for a $9.75 million settlement uh, as long as he agreed not to go ahead with the $50 million lawsuit he had planned to, uh, to, you know, to wage against the city and the NYPD. Right. So basically uh, settling for that after having spent 30 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, next up, we have an article from Psychology Today about women who sexually assault men. Right. This is an October 28, 2019 article, and it cites the research of Laura Stemple and Elon Meyer. I believe that's how you pronounce his first name. Uh, you can find this again on psychologytoday.com. Research reveals the truth about female sexual predators. Research indicates female perpetrators are more common than once believed. Um, Stemple and Meyer's uh, research, and I've cited this in my own work, note that surveys conducted by large-scale federal agencies reveal that women are often the perpetrators of sexual crimes. They refer to a study they published in 2014 finding that men were sexually victimized more often than most expect. Regarding the identity of the perpetrators, they analyzed surveys conducted by the Bureau of Justice Statistics and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and found that over one, over a one-year period, both sexes were similarly likely to be subjected to non-consensual sex, and most of the male victims reported being victimized by female perpetrators. Now, when you actually add up male and female perpetrators, what we find is that men, and especially black men, are, are more subject to rape than any other demographic, and it's by this logic alone. America incarcerates more people, more citizens, than any other country in the world, and per capita, they incarcerate black males more than any other group. So when you talk about sexual assault and rape, when you add and factor in prisons, what we actually find is that it's far more likely that black males experience rape and sexual assault more than any other group because of our carceral, carceral practices in this country in regard to black men. But she's but Stemple and Meyer are not actually dealing with incarceration, and they found that the rates are fairly similar across the board as far as that was concern, was concerned. But again, because we don't we haven't learned to think about women as aggressors. We've only learned to think about them as victims. They tend to not be um, socially punished. And this is going to lead to more of the articles I mentioned about sexual assault, particularly by female teachers, where they go uh, unpunished. Next up, we have an article from Yahoo.com. Parents file lawsuit against school where teachers colored in a 13-year-old boy's hair uh, with a Sharpie. Right. Um, earlier this year in Pureland, Texas, 13 year old Jules um, was right, where I lost my place here. 13 uh, year old Jules Trice faced unusual punitive actions at his middle school, not for something he did in the classroom, but for his haircut. 
It was said that he was accused of a dress code violation and given an ultimatum that made him choose between having his scalp defaced by a permanent marker or getting suspended. Four months after the incident, his family has decided to sue the Pearland Independent School District. So these are the kinds of cases that black boys especially find themselves subject to, whether or not people acknowledge it and and at least are willing to uh, do something about it. But if they don't have advocates, these are nonetheless the kinds of cases that black boys experience regardless. Right. Um, so in that, if you're interested in that, look that article up again. Um, you know, we have uh, Jules Trice, J-U-E-L-Z, last name T-R-I-C-E is, is his name. And that's Peerland, Texas. Uh, and yes, I agree. Uh Yada Ben Yisrael, I'm looking at the comment sections in Facebook. Uh, we are propagandized to see women as predators, uh, uh, to not see them as predators. But um, next up, we have a married teacher, 29, performed oral sex on a 14 year old boy, but she's allowed back into the classroom. This is an article dated August 4, 2018. Married teacher who admitted performing a sex act on 14 year old boy has avoided jail will not be banned from the classroom. Dory Myers had a sexual relationship with the boy in numerous locations while teaching social studies at the New York School for Leadership and Arts in New York. This is the sun.co.uk. Uh, but this is an interesting article too, right? Because it highlights the same thing. And I know that many, both men and, men and women, in many ways tend to view the rape of boys as a sort of rites of passage that somehow makes them stronger and yet the rape of girls is an atrocity and the reality behind that is uh, and this is the work that I'm going to be talking about next week when I cover Dr. Tommy Curry's book She Touched Me boys actually have the same responses to sexual violation as girls psychologically speaking we just don't interpret it as such and so one of the things we find is that again you have these teachers who are let off the hook and even allowed back in the classroom. But again, if you don't think this is a problem, reverse the genders and then think about the situation again. Married male teacher, 14-year-old girl, are you upset? Now, I can tell you this probably I would have taken, I've been a little more indifferent to until I had a son of my own. And now that I understand the dynamic, I've watched him be born. I've raised him from the point of not even being able to walk to being a young teenager. I can tell you I'd have a very different reaction because this is still a violation and it is a power dynamic as well. It is a power dynamic that goes on. And yet we find more and more of these cases where people are allowed off the hook. Um, now, one of the things we found after Kobe passed, the, the part of the issue was having people being retried in public, uh, in the court of public opinion after their death. And we find a similar thing happening, happening to singer Rick James. Uh, apparently, a woman has come forward and said he raped her in 1979 and she is suing his estate. You can find this on LATimes.com. Article said the title is Woman Who Says Rick James Raped Her in 1979 Sues Estate. Uh, this is by Associated Press, dated February 16th, 2020. Um, now, the reason I bring this up is it, it is considered okay and safe in many ways to now, especially after Kobe, continue to try black men in the court of public opinion and apparently in a judicial court uh, even after their death. Um, uh, he was uh, actually Rick James was found dead in his L.A. home in 2004. And yet here we are. 16 years later, um, still 
trying him in his grave, right? Much like we heard with Kobe and we will likely continue to hear with others. So in this kind of incident, I find it interesting that we have no other demographic that we see being treated this way, but it's somehow acceptable that black men be rapists into the grave. And this is, is this is particularly interesting considering that uh, the article on foxbusiness.com about Harvey Weinstein apparently is such that the title is Harvey Weinstein Rape Case Expected to End in Acquittal Hung Jury, uh, February 17th, it's dated, foxbusiness.com, right? So, and some of you may have heard the uh, closing arguments, I believe, by uh, Weinstein's, Weinstein's lawyer, where he basically said that, uh, or she basically said, excuse me, that, um, you know, that Weinstein, basically, these women were grown, they were engaging in consensual relationships by their own admission, and yet, if their careers didn't turn out a certain way, they were suing, uh, but they admitted in the course of, you know, the evidence, the interviews, the text messages that these were consensual relationships. And yet he's somehow in court and likely to get off. But you have black men being tried more than a decade after their death and sometimes uh, more than 15, 16 years after the occurrence and an hour after their death. They're being retried in the court of public opinion. And this is somehow acceptable. So if this is happening to black men who are no longer with us. What's happening to everyday black men? Next up, we have an article on rhymeswithsnitch.com about Lamar Odom having been punched by his fiancée, Sabrina Parr. Um, And it basically said that uh, his uh, Parr, who is his fiancée and life coach, or she is a life coach, uh, apparently has assaulted him on multiple occasions. Um, You can read the article to go in more detail. And it's interesting to note that in this this kind of approach, there's no repercussions. It's very similar to what we see with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, where there have been a number of uh, audio tapes released where Heard herself admits to having assaulted Johnny Depp. And there's no real backlash. She's actually still winning human uh, humanitarian awards. And yet Johnny Depp's career was ended merely on her accusation. As a matter of fact, at one point, she actually told him in one of the recorded interviews that nobody was going to believe him because she's a woman. This is the kind of thing that we're talking about when we talk about misandry, right? We're talking about the hatred of men and in many ways, the institutionalized hatred of men. And by institutionalized, I mean, it's acceptable even by law. And we have a whole different judicial system for women who commit the same crime. And yet for men, it's, you know, it's okay that they they receive the harshest sentence or whatnot, even after the grave. So uh, in regard to Lamar Odom having been physically assaulted, uh, I wonder, again, reverse the genders. If the article was about how he had beat Sabrina, uh, Sabrina Parr, what would we be talking about right now? Now, the threat in that in that uh, and this is interesting because I actually have a video that I found from a cruise ship that I posted on my social media where you can actually see a woman who is accusing her boyfriend of having talked to another woman and she assaults him for several minutes. And the only thing that the people standing by say is that he's a good man because he actually didn't hit her back, but she continued to hit him. It's not necessarily just about the physical damage. That is a significant part of the situation. But it's also knowing that as a black male, especially if you are a larger black male, that if you do respond, even in self-defense, you are considered the aggressor. That's the dynamic that needs to be addressed. Right. We'll have we have certainly, you know, some feminists who are making the argument that the only time women are violent is in self-defense. But that's actually not the case. But as long as people are willing 
right, to criminalize black men, especially larger black men, arbitrarily, it's acceptable. Um, let's see. We also have uh, this is an interesting one from Pluralist.com. This will be the one I stop on here. Well, actually, one more. Teacher says it's unconstitutional to charge her for having had sex with a male student and gets off. Right. So uh, this is a molten. I think this might be uh, a similar one to the one I read earlier from the Molten School District. Yes, in Alabama. But it didn't. The other article I mentioned didn't actually include the fact that she actually got off having made the argument that this is unconstitutional um, and yet it was accepted. Uh, so this is an article on Pluralist.com. Teacher says it's unconstitutional to charge her for having sex with male student. Gets off. You can look that article up. It's dated February 17, 2020. I don't think there are too many black men, especially, that can get in court and justify having sexually violated a student as a teacher and, you know, and getting off on the notion that somehow it's acceptable because it's unconstitutional. Uh, and last one is a uh, black swimmer suing police after having been handcuffed and gun pointed at his head. This is dated February 16, 2020 in the Grio.com. Uh, the only black member of the college swimming team, Jalen Butler, was also the only member to be accosted by police, handcuffed, forced to the ground with a gun pointing at his head and ordered not to move. Butler, a student of Eastern Illinois University, filed the suit in federal court in January with the help of the ACLU, which contends that six officers from three different departments refused to let Butler go, even when his teammates and coaches told them that he was with them and had nothing to do, had, had done nothing wrong. Now, I've experienced that as have many black men myself at the age of 15, being, having been thrown over a police car uh, at, at, at gunpoint and being told that I looked like someone that robbed a Domino's pizza two weeks prior, two cities over. And this is across the street from my high school at 730 in the morning going walking to school. Now, this is so. And so I bring that up merely to say that this is a common occurrence for many black men. And it's it, when you tell stories like this around black men, the only response you really get is other stories. Um, but this has become a feature uh, in, for black American life, black American uh, men in particular, in, in a way that is, I think, in many instances has become quite common. And that's kind of the problem. Right. All the cases I read speak to a vulnerability either on gender or racial terms that are that are fairly specific and illustrate a difference in how some groups are treated versus others. And that's the problem, because as we try and frame the way we think about um, misandry, the way we think about black male life. A lot of the things that we read, a lot of things that I've covered just in this intro, you guys have already heard. And if you haven't heard all of them, you've heard of some of them. And and yet, in many instances, we've learned to kind of take that as common. That's okay. It, it comes with the experience. But we don't often step back and look at it for what it is. Unacceptable. Unacceptable for a group of human beings that haven't, you know, it, it, you're talking about innocent men in many instances who haven't done anything, and yet their mistreatment is supported by law, is supported by policy, is supported by culture, is supported by conventional, um, uh, I guess we could say, um, public opinion. And that's the problem. If boys especially are being brought into a world where it is acceptable that they be violated and grow into men who learn that it's acceptable to be violated, that kind of lack of empathy produces something. And what that something is, is what black men have been responding to in the last number of years in a very different way than before. 
you know um, and this is where we get to what I consider to be kind of the 12 point uh, a 12 point framework now I want to be clear what I'm about to highlight in terms of the 12 major areas of life that black men need to actually think about um, it's not a manifesto and it's not a completed plan what I'm doing is I'm actually trying to engender a, a dialogue with black men in particular. So I want you to jump into the comment sections when I post this on YouTube, and I want you to join the conversation because in these 12 areas, there's only two things that I'm gonna bring up in the 12 areas that I'm pointing to. I'm gonna bring up how we've been vulnerable, and I'm gonna bring up a need for us to prioritize our existence in e each of these spaces. That's what I'm, I'm really doing. I'm not trying to bring you a completed analysis or a completed conclusion about what should be done. Because I think this movement with black men is growing and evolving. I want to engender a discussion by throwing out these areas and saying, look, these are the areas that impact black male life. And they impact us differently than they do black women, uh, white women, white men, Asian men, Asian women, you name it, across the board. Black men find themselves in many different contexts in a situation that no one else is experience, experiencing the same way. And this is often backed by, again, policy, by law, and by public opinion. And in all three of those areas, it is acceptable by too many people that this happened. Now, these 12 areas are not even, I don't even list them in areas of importance. Think about them more as uh, like a pie chart. You know, each area constitutes the same amount of space for a different set of reasons. So I'm not listing them in areas of importance. But the first of which I would talk about is the judicial and carceral practices. Judicial and carceral practices speak to both criminal uh, and civil sentencing as well as incarceration uh, rates and whatnot. And what we find obviously for black men is that, that we are hyper-criminalized, hyper-sentenced, right? And we are hyper-incarcerated for crimes that other groups commit, sometimes even at the same rates, but, don't, but aren't punished for. Now, this also includes, however, not just uh, crimes in terms of violent crimes or anything of that nature, but also in terms of family court. Right. Whether we're talking about divorce, whether we're talking about, um, you know, issues regarding child support, child custody, you know, alimony judgments, these kind of issues, you know, inadvertently, you know, and adversely hit black men differently than other groups. And there needs to be a politic. Right. We need to actually develop a politic about what it is we want to see change. Like one of the things we can talk about is a financial abortion. If it's her body, her choice. Should men have the opportunity to opt out of a of a relationship or or or, uh, or the production of a, a child that they did not want? See, we say it's acceptable that a woman be able to choose what happens to him in the next 18 years of his life in regard to a decision that she's made. But he has no freedom other than before the sex act. And what that tends to do is it allows what could be a consensual sex act to become an 18 year sentence for a, a dynamic that he never necessarily wanted. And it's not just a matter of whether or not he wears protection, condoms break, and yet he still has to be subject to a decision she makes. Should there be a legal intervention that allows a man to have a choice? 
right? And that's just one example. But we could talk about this not only in terms of family court, but also in terms of the kind of racist and misandrous sentencing practices that happen when it comes to the judicial aspect of our lives altogether. Should there be a politic that black men engage that at the end of the day advocates for a new approach to it altogether? The next up is family and parenting. Now, one of the things I want to point out, as I've said on this show, is that the black community has functioned by a gynarchy or what I call a gynarchy. And basically what that refers to is in, uh, you know, at least five or six major areas um, in life uh, or in the in the black community, I should say. Black men are not in positions of authority. If you look at the work of Dr. Dr. Kevin Cosby and Dr. Robert Staples, sociologists, uh, particularly popular in the 70s and the 1980s. They pointed out both together five major areas that constitute some of the major institutions in any community, schools, media, business, family and church. Well, what's interesting to note is that black men don't control any of those. If anything, what's interesting to note is that they're actually run by black women. Right. You know, the family, we're talking nearly 80 percent of our children are born and out of uh, out of, uh, you know, marital birth rates. I mean, for the most part, born to single parent um, women households, women, female led households. So in that regard, men are not in charge of the family. We don't have a patriarchy in the black community. Uh, the church, you have figurehead pastors. And this is something we might want to go back and listen to my interview with Dr. Tim Golden. When we talk about the kind of gynocentric framework and practice of many pastors who are catering to a primarily female dominated um, uh, uh, constituency. So even though you have a figurehead in position, the church, the Christian church in America, especially in the black community, is predominantly female. Right. Businesses. We have data from a 2015 survey of business owners that shows that black women are the fastest growing uh, you know, business demographic across race and gender. And in many ways uh, have been breaking out new territory. Much of this is based on education. So that said, black men are not controlling and dominating in business. In media, most of our media, major media platforms are white sponsored. But again, as I said earlier, to the extent that they are, they prioritize the largest consuming demographic. And in the black community, that is not black men. That tends to be, you know, the most enrolled in higher education and the most consistently employed demographic, which, again, is black women. And in terms of schools, whether you especially if you're talking about higher education, black men are not in dominant numbers. As whether it's serving as students, staff, or faculty. You know, I pointed this out prior in prior shows from 1976 to 2017. Black men have about half the college degrees of black women. And up until just a few years ago, only one out of two were graduating high school. So black men are not in control of, of schools or the educational component of our lives anyway. So in those major institutions, uh, going back to my statement about the family, black men are basically, a, you know, the black community basically runs by gynarchy. One that is particularly one that really comes into into frame uh, in the 1970s due to, to policies related to no fault divorce and to uh, employment changes that sent black men out of the marketplace, out of the workplace. When you, when you start talking about uh, deindustrialization and automation and sending black women into the marketplace, into the workplace and into colleges in unprecedented numbers, we don't find that when it comes to the family that black men are necessarily leading in that dynamic. And so because of that, uh, we have to begin to talk about the family 
in a very different kind of way in regard to where black men find themselves. And for the most part, uh, and I think it's about half of black men that don't even have kids. So you're talking about a dynamic where black men are not necessarily, you know, in that dynamic. They're not leading that. And so we have to begin to ask questions as black men about the kind of families we are willing to participate in and what that requires, you know, and whether or not there's a, and, and so again, I'm, I'm trying to initiate a discussion. So the first had to do with judicial and carceral practices. The second had to do with family and parenting. The next has to do with labor and employment, whether that be professional labor, whether that be uh, entrepreneurship, whether that be trade and blue collar work, regardless of what level of work it is, are you working in a space where you are welcome? Is that happening? Are you working in a space that is inherently hostile to black men, right? Are you in a position, and, and I'm not even gonna, I'm not passing judgment on whether or not you own your own company or whether or not you work for someone else. The question I'm asking is, where is there a space where black men can actually begin to monopolize their presence, right? Are, are there spaces where there are more of us and that we can begin to expand and control the dynamics of that labor? And or not. And it's just a question that we need to begin to talk about, especially as, again, we're going into a recession and the echoes of the 1970s are in the wind again in terms of automation and, and whether or not we'll have continued employment. So are there areas that we can begin to monopolize and actually use in support of one another? Can we begin to have that discussion? And I think in many circles we have, but we need to draw in those nets and have them a little more close knit. Next area has to do with self-help and therapy. Um, and, and by that, I mean, I advocate for both exercise in a particular way, but also the need for black men to actually find, um, you know, therapeutic support. Because as I listed in the introduction, the kinds of things that we've grown accustomed to are daunting and really shouldn't exist. But if anything, um, are, an exa are, are examples of trauma but again can we find therapists black male therapists or at least therapists that allow for more than allow for but purposely advocate for the humanity of black men and and that's an important distinction because I've gotten therapy done especially you know I got therapy for about five years after my wife passed and I even got therapy early on when I was early married and I can tell you that not having the right kind of therapist, especially one who does not see your humanity as a black man, that type of therapy, if anything, can be even more daunting and traumatic. And so, you know, can we find therapists that support black male humanity and do not come out of a training regimen that presupposes that they are nothing more than animals? Right. Um, next up is health, pharmaceuticals and healthcare, And looking at the top 10 causes of death again, <clears throat> what we're seeing is that heart disease and diabetes are the main issues that tend to impact black men. Yes. Hello. OK. okay. All right. Um, uh, hey. Hello. Hey, yes, this is Ian. How you doing? Oh, hi, Ian. I didn't even know you were on the line, brother. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, uh, but uh, I was letting you know I was on the line. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did. I usually get a note, uh, get a notification. I might have, but I didn't see it. Uh, How you doing, brother? You have a contribution you want to you add to this? Yes, I do. I do. Um, yes. Good evening. Uh, so, my contribution tonight. Um, one of the things I 
I came across was, and and I always would tell people that we have to have a basis for a healthy psychology. And for me, I found that that was the Madonna and Child. Okay. Um, and I, I spoke on this um, at an African-American psychology class. And uh, everybody loved it. But the basis, the basis uh, implies balance. Okay. Because you have the male and the female, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. then you have the old and the, and the young. And mm. then you have this idea of the male being sacred. Right. Okay. And the woman actually being the protector in a lot okay. of ways of, of the male. Mm-hmm. You see? And so... I would tell people uh, your 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 proximity to that uh, to that imagery will determine how healthy you are, and you can determine that for yourself. It's like how balanced are you? Um, mm-hmm. So I gave this I gave this talk, um, and, and and everybody everybody really enjoyed it. It okay. came after a couple of days where actually actually on my way. On my, actually, on my way to the, the professor's office who asked me to speak the day before, um, or on, the, on, my, on my way back home from talking to the, to, to the professor, there was a young male who had just got shot. Uh, it was surrounding some uh, drug activity and things. So he was a young male. He got shot, uh, and he was just laying in the grass. I got there maybe like 15 minutes before, before it happened. You know, wow. I, I, was, I was on the street. And so I seen I seen the guy laying there, and they had him laying there for hours upon hours upon hours, right? Mm. Mm. But the crazy thing is, it ended up that his girlfriend came came there, and they had a baby, and she said she had been trying to get him to come with her, you know, to settle down with her, mm. um, and 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 remove himself from that environment, um, but uh, he couldn't. You know, for for a lot of reasons, he didn't feel comfortable. But she was inviting him. She had her own place, her own house, right? So, so the point, the long story short, the point is, I gave the speech. I, okay. I came back. I came back um, home. At that time, I had a girlfriend I was living with, and she loved it. She actually teared up. You know, at you know at the thought. You know that I was able to make these connections and and the truth that I was speaking, but she was angry though at the same time at me because mm. she said it, it, it that I was implying that uh, when I said that women are not using their power and their voices, you know, to save black men, mm. right, and to protect them, she was angry at me because she was saying that that implied that uh, that black women should be taking care of men. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm looking at it, I'm like, so 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 you mean you would rather this guy be dead mm. than this woman taking him in? So 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 you're you're standing so staunchly on this idea of feminism and independence and and protecting yourself as a black woman, you would forego this man, this young male being alive. Mm. Mm. And she was she she became she was angry at me. You wow. know, and I'm saying like that's not what it was. I never said that. Mm-hmm. I never said that. I'm saying that women 
are empowered just as much as men as we are to protect them they are also to protect us but she couldn't right. understand that ide- ideology right you know? and there's and then protection you know, comes in many forms so you know it doesn't even yeah. happen necessarily you're not talking about you know come out in the street and beat somebody up to protect me necessarily but protection can happen in a lot of different ways right mm-hmm. and and the the mm-hmm. assumption that it strictly be a one-way street because protection is one of the things we hear men men being asked to provide on a regular basis and and for there not to be a, a, a reciprocal relationship that's, that's just rooted in in a, in a care uh, for men in particular and, and really to go even a step further to have men socialized to not even think about their protection is is incredibly powerful now I want to say this because we only got six minutes left um, and what okay. I'm what I'm probably gonna do is I'm probably going to do a, a, another half of, of the show and I might do that live on YouTube I will put it up in social media um, and Facebook and Twitter on on completing this because I don't want to necessarily wait two more weeks to do it but I do want to to kind of complete the the thought and we only have a few minutes left so I want to do that right at this moment because uh, we've only gotten you know halfway through the list too which which is fine okay. uh, because I wasn't expecting to do it all in one day per se but I at least wanted to put it on the table again to start the discussion. So, you, you know, and I appreciate you calling in, Ian, because, you know, you and I have gone back and forth, you know, and on Facebook about a number of these things. And I definitely want to hear your voice on these matters as well. Um, and, and I appreciate the story you called in with, because I think even on a micro level, what you're talking about is a, a level of support that, you know, not only do, you know, in some instances, you know, women don't think they need to provide, but men have kind of grown accustomed to not asking for it uh, in a mm. particular way. And, and what it produces is one way relationships that uh, have men serving as, you know, you know, what they call unpaid bodyguards and whatnot indefinitely and not really even knowing what to ask for in return in a relationship, what kind of support to look for. Right, um, and I think you know, kind of what you're pointing to speaks to a lot of that. Um, so I appreciate you calling in, brother. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. All right. Um, now, the, I was talking about healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and I was pointing to the top ten leading causes of death um, that really center around for Black men: heart disease, uh, you know, prostate cancer, diabetes, respiratory disease, nephritis, HIV, and septicemia. Basically, what I was saying there is those are the top, you know, kind of issues that impact black men. And yet, you know, in that kind of way, we have to have a new discussion about what black men need uh, outside of what they provide to other people for their own well-being and health. Um, And the last that I'll I'll actually end on, and I won't go into any great depth here because I'm actually going to continue this later, is on rape, IPV, and sexual assault. And as I read in the article in the intro, this is actually quite common against men, even though we don't think it is. And we need to have a new imagination about how this impacts the lives of black men and how these things, even on a legal level, impact us a bit differently. Um, So I'm going to actually start the the next show kind of dealing with that. But again, in every one of these areas, I'm really talking about how we're vulnerable and at the same time, how we need to prioritize our existence differently. 
I mean, I think in many ways we've been socialized to think of family as something that men need to sacrifice for. And we often do so uh, when we are in a family context to the expense of our own health and well-being. We don't often know how to prioritize ourselves in a in particular way. And many of us will either be feel guilty about it or even be socially shamed for doing so. But learning to prioritize your existence as a black male is key to what I'm pointing out here. Now, the next few areas we're going to talk about uh, have to do with finances, education, uh, violence and homicide, social relationships, politics, and religion and spirituality, right? So in that, again, thinking of it like kind of like a pie chart, the question is, how do how are we vulnerable in these areas? What kind of spaces are we in? And are they inherently hostile to us? Have we merely grown used to that to the point where we don't even see it anymore and just treat it as part of our daily existence? You know, do we actually need to start thinking about how to get out of these kind of spaces? What other kinds of spaces we need to put ourselves in and what kind of work we need to do together? in a particular way where we might be able to, to create a different reality while at the same time actually taking the time to say, okay, what is it that not only do I as a black male individual need, but what do we as a black male collective need? Now, um, so again, I'll continue that and look out on social media. I'll let you know when I'm going to go live on YouTube to continue this discussion. But as I started to close in the last few shows, some of you know how I do this. I want to thank you for supporting the Onyx Report. And I want you to remember, I'm here to let you know that we are not criminals by birth. We're not perennial rapists. We're not incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support sources, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline, discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, innovators, inventors, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and only extend your time, attention, and resources to those who genuinely respect you. Uh, to each of you, my brothers, I just want to say peace.